Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me to John 13. And I'm going to start in verse and number 33. Very familiar passage. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now what's interesting is he's talking to Jews, and he's telling a bunch of Jews, as I said to the Jews, I'm going to get to that in a minute. And I, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, he says it twice, for by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, I normally am not the best when it comes to titles, but um, you know this one has an actual real title, and I just call it the one thing. Everybody say one thing. See, the, part of the beauty of, of the new covenant is we're really only given one rule. Uh, we're only given one commandment. In the old covenant, there were 613, and then by the time Jesus showed up, the scribes and Pharisees had added 245 more rules plus 365 prohibitions. So by the time Jesus showed up, there was more than 1,100 rules that people had to keep. I mean, no wonder, you know, Jesus stands up and he says, is anybody tired, anybody weary, anybody burned out of religion? They're like, yes, yes, and yes. They're like, man, this is impossible to keep all of these rules. But Jesus here, he's speaking to the 12, and he says something interesting. He said, as I said to the Jews, but now I say to you. So he's showing a clear distinction between covenants. See, one thing we've got to understand, and I, I don't want to assume anything because I've not been here before. I mean, I, I know I, I know a lot of what's been you know taught and there's been good and solid stuff here. You know, I just don't know everything, so I, I don't want to assume a lot of times that we, we know stuff that, you know, you might know this, but some of you may not. But not everything in the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, and not everything in the New Testament is the New Covenant. Actually, the Old Covenant didn't start until Moses. Before that, there were other covenants. And the New Covenant didn't start actually until the resurrection because according to the writer of Hebrews, the testator has to die before the covenant goes into effect. Jesus was carrying the New Covenant in his blood, but Jesus was functioning under law. And so most of his teachings and messages, he was speaking, listen to this, not to Christians because there were none yet. He was speaking to Jews under the law. Now, that doesn't mean it's not applicable to us. Listen, the Sermon on the Mount is applicable. Everything Jesus said is applicable to us, but we must understand it in the context of who his audience was and what it first meant to them because what it meant to them is very different than us. Jesus has asked this one day. They said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment under the law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And under the law, that was true. Matter of fact, what's interesting is they ask for one law and he gives them two. I think Jesus liked to mess with people sometimes, almost on purpose. Uh, You know, but then in Luke, he says, for these are the same. In other words, you you don't separate them. Loving God and loving humans is actually the same thing. Matter of fact, whenever Jesus said this, that's where he said, as I said to the Jews, in other words, 
I'm now speaking to you. That is why you always know something new covenant is about to happen when Jesus would leave the crowds and the disciples would say, you just taught this in a parable and all these pictures, but now would you tell us? And then he would explain to them. He would give them like a new covenant picture of what this was going to look like. And so Jesus, uh, matter of fact, Paul Paul understood this too. I mean, you get to the book of Acts and it says that Paul went to a certain city teaching and it says Jews stirred up trouble and actually caused the people to stone Paul and throw him off of a wall and leave him for dead. But then it says, but believers came and raised him from the dead. Now that's not talking about Jews as in being anti-Semitic. Whenever you see that kind of verbiage, it's talking about the Jew law keepers and it's talking about the system of old covenant law keepers. You understand? God wasn't saying, well, those Jews. I mean, you'll see, God loves every human. Jew, Greek, every human. So the, it, it, Jesus wasn't saying, well, you know, as I said to them Jews, I mean, Jesus was one. For heaven's sakes. All right. So he wasn't being anti-Jewish, but what he's saying is, as all of those people in that covenant heard, now I'm giving you something new. A new commandment, because you see, it's not that love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself is not a bad thing. It's just kind of contingent on how you feel about you. I mean, it's great to love your neighbor as you love yourself as long as you're having a good day. Because you're going to end up loving your neighbor exactly how you feel about you. So if you're having one of those days, you know, if you run into me on a day where, man, everything's good. I mean, the family ain't crazy. There's money in the bank. Everybody's healthy. Life is good. It's easy for me to love you the way I love me because I like me today. And it's going to be easy for me to like you. But if you run into me on one of those days, and I know maybe you're more spiritual than me. You don't have them anymore. You know those days, like those days where my flight gets canceled and I have to fly from six in the morning and get home at midnight and have three, three stops and I don't feel good and not the best day probably to run into me. I'd I'd love to tell you, I got all this all thing figured out, but, but you see, it's very contingent on how you feel about yourself. Jesus didn't tell us to just love our neighbor the way we love ourselves. He said, I'm giving you a whole new way of thinking. Matter of fact, I'm giving you one thing, one command. Love as I have loved. So now this is a whole nother level. It's don't love your neighbor just as you love yourself. I want you to now love your neighbor the way I loved you. Because guess what? I'm always patient with you. I'm always kind with you. I'm not envious. I'm not boastful. Guess what? I keep no record of wrong. Woo! Hallelujah there. I'm not easily angered. He said, that's how I want you to now love your neighbor. Don't love them the way you love. I want you to love the way I loved. That, that takes it to a whole, whole nother level, and he gives us, he gives us one thing. I mean, let, let, let's be real honest. A lot of times, if you were to go to Walmart and you or Myers and you were to interview people and ask them their opinion about Christians, church, and God, you might run into one out of twenty that had a really good experience at Faith City, and they met some gracious, kind, loving people. But probably 19 out of 20, they'd say, mean, judgmental, arrogant, bigots. I mean, I mean, we get a bad rap because it seems like they always put the crazy people on TV representing us. I mean, let's be honest. Normally the person they come to ask a question to, it's like, man, they're crazy. Well, why did they put that preacher on there? 
And people get this idea about Christians and Christianity. Normally, the first response is, man, the most loving people I've ever ran into in my entire life. Man, those people are amazing. They were so kind to me. They embraced me. Most of the time, it's like, "Mm, I'm good. Uh, I don't know if I need to really be around that. I've said for years, most people aren't running from Jesus. Uh, They're running from his representatives. And so... Jesus gives this one command. I wonder what would happen if we could ever just get the one thing down. I mean, we only got one commandment. I mean, he gave us a commission. He gave us a bunch of teachings that we have to take in context because some of them teachings, I mean, you know, they're not going to have too much to do with us. Like you said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies run for the hills, I mean, I don't live in Jerusalem. And there ain't no hills by my house. I mean, I live in mid-Michigan. You know, so I mean, there's some things that he gave instruction on that you got to realize that that actually probably wasn't talking to you, maybe them. I mean, he said stuff like this, you know, he said, listen, when you see all these things come to pass, he said, if you're on your rooftop, you know, don't go back down in the house, jump off the roof and head for the hills. And uh, I ask people all the time, I said, you, you ever been on your rooftop? You know, and have people say, well, no. And are there any hills by your house? No, maybe he wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Amen. Good teaching, brother. Hallelujah. Just... I mean, I don't, know what this, I don't know why this is shocking sometimes to us. It, it shouldn't be. Maybe he was actually talking to them about something that was going to happen to them in their lifetime. Just maybe. I mean, just maybe he said some of you will not taste death till you see this. And, you know, either you believe there's 2,000-year-old people walking around. There's people that teach that. Oh, yes. Very well-known end-time teachers actually teach that there is a group of people walking around for 2,000 years because Jesus said some of you wouldn't taste death. Anyway, help us, Father. Uh, that's, that's called mythology. That's, uh, you believe in the Highlander. <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> Waiting for you to be martyred and I'll lose your head. There's going to be finally one at the end. Anyway. I got to stay focused here. So he says, listen, I've only really got one thing that I want you to get down. And it's this love thing. You know what happens sometimes when we're, when we've been in church a long time or we've been raised in church, we think we got the love thing down. When someone talks about love, oh yeah, yeah. Jesus loves me this, I know for the Bible tells me. So Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. Man, I got that down. And it's, it's like, you know, Really? I mean, do, do we really? I mean, do you know the only way you can know the fullness of God is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is the earnest of your inheritance. It's a down payment. It's just the beginning of a walk of walking in fullness. But Ephesians 3 tells us that we might know what is the height and the depth and the breadth and the width with all the saints of his love so that we might know the fullness of God. The fullness of God is actually knowing the fullness of his love and it's learning how to walk that thing out, not with God, but with humans. So here about a year ago, I had one of the young men in our church in Saginaw. You know, one thing I love about having uh, a lot of newer believers is they they ask you questions uh, that, to be honest, my third generation preacher's mind would have never thought of. You know, I had one young man ask me a question one time. He said, he said to me, he said, Bishop, he said, you know, uh, Jesus said that hell was made for the devil and his messengers, the devil and his angels. And he said, uh, 
but doesn't the devil and demons live now to torment and frustrate human beings? I said, yeah, that's, that's what they love to do, torment and frustrate humans. And he said, well, if hell is made for them and you put humans with them and they get to torment and torture humans for all of eternity, doesn't it actually make it heaven for them? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I still ain't got back to him. I mean, I have no idea. I'm like, pretty good question. I don't know. I was like, I don't think I would have ever thought of that in my entire life. I'm like, I don't know. Leave it to someone who has no indoctrination. They ask you a question that stumps you. You have no idea. I don't know. But I had one young man come to me, and he said said to me, he said, I've been trying to find post-cross where it shows us how to love God in the new covenant. He said, I can't find a verse. That actually tells us the Old Testament is full of it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you love me, you'll do this. Matter of fact, John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. And then you get to John 14, and it can confuse you a little bit because then Jesus said, if you really love me, then you keep my commandments plural. And we read that and we're like, okay, well now Jesus gave us one command. Now he's telling us to keep all of his commandments. And we automatically assume he's talking about all this, all the commandments in the Bible. Matter of fact, my first sermon, first John chapter, chapter two, I preached it, man. I was, I was 21 years old. I come home from college and my first sermon was first John. It says, if you say, you know me and you don't obey my commands, that was when I was more Pentecostal. If you don't obey my commands, then you are a liar. And by the time I got done, my sermon was you lie, you fry. By the time I got done, I mean, folks that have been saved, filled with the Holy Ghost 30 years, weren't even convinced they were saved anymore. Everybody's eyes were so big. <laughs> man, by the time I got done, they were all like, my God, man, I don't even know if we know Jesus. <laughs> Just messed them all up. Because, you see, the problem, though, is this, is in the Greek language, the word for command and commandment, there's no plural in it. You see, translators translate with bias. Actually, it says, if you keep my commandment. Not commandments. Jesus didn't give commandments. He gave a commandment. He gave one thing for us to get down pat. Love. And by the way, it wasn't about loving God. It was about loving humans. I think there's a reason why a lot of people would rather stay under law or stay in mixture because at least under law I can go hang out at a convent or a monastery and just wear some linen and get a Bible and it'd be just me and Jesus and I ain't gonna mess with no crazy people. <laughs> he said, but if you want to really know, and isn't it interesting that the only litmus test that proves we're a disciple, he didn't say the world will know you're my disciples by how righteous you act and how righteous you dress by how much you attend service, by your tithing and your giving records. He didn't say the world will know you're my disciples because you show up to every prayer meeting and you're an intercessor. And all those things are good things as a disciple to do. But he said there's only one litmus test that you love humans. That you love humans. See, Jesus, Jesus said something one day. The Lord then said this to me. About a year ago, he said, how you know you're really maturing in love is when you can view every human as Jesus. Not as God, as Jesus. And I was like, Lord, I'm going to need a little more explanation than that because, uh, you know, there, there seems to be clear distinction in the Bible of 
us and them. There's the sons of God and the sons of the devil. And then you study that and you understand that that was talking about sons of the law, sons of the accuser. Uh, and if the devil doesn't have seed because he, he, he can't procreate. <laughs> he can't create, he perverts. All right. There's no demonic seed. All right. Re- re- regardless of Nephilim's. Anyway, hallelujah. I got I to gotta stay focused today. Lord Jesus. So many crazy teachings in the body of Christ. But Jesus said this one day. It's in Matthew 25, after Matthew 24. It's normally considered eschatological. But Matthew 25, Jesus starts talking about sheep and goats. I've sat in all-day Saturday seminars where they were explaining about sheep nations and goat nations. And I don't exactly know how you call a whole nation of people a goat nation when there's a bunch of sheep in it. I mean, it's, you know, but anyway, that's regardless. But to a Jew, they would not be thinking about nations of people. To a Jew, when they heard sheep and goats, they would be thinking about sacrifices. They, when the moment a Jew would hear sheep, they would start thinking about the atonement offering. That, that, that then was that which covered their sin for the year. When they heard goat, they would think of the scapegoat, which was the goat that the priest would lay his hands on. They would call it Azazel, and they would release it out into a place that it would walk off a cliff and it would die. Jesus became the lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, and he became the scapegoat because he was crucified outside of the temple or outside of the camp. So when he's talking about this, literally, Jesus has given this picture. How you prove your righteousness is you either have a goat mentality or you have a sheep mentality. A sheep mentality is an atonement, a redemptive mentality. How you view humans is through a heart of redemption and atonement. Or you have a goat mentality, and a goat mentality is a scapegoat mentality. In other words, you view others as those people. In other words, it is a us and them mentality. And you see, we all, whether we like it or not, we have ideas of those people. There's people, their idea of those white people, those black people, those Hispanics, those Asians, those Indians. Then then last year, it was those Democrats and those Republicans and those Libertarians. And I mean, we've got, and then the church, Lord and mercy, is full of it. Those Catholics, those Lutherans, those Baptists, those Pentecostals, those Charismatics. We love to label. We love to view people as us and them. We love to put a focus on those, those people, those rich people, those poor people, those homeless people. We, we, we put our views on all kinds of stuff, and then in the church, we, we have our pet sins, those, those homosexuals, those Muslims. I've heard well-known preachers say in the last couple of years, we just need to go over there and bomb all them Muslims. I'm like, yeah, that's what Jesus would do. I mean, let's just go wipe out all the sons of Ishmael. That, By the way, we're given a covenant before Isaac, but nobody wants to talk about that. That God said they would also be a great nation, and he would, hallelujah. Yeah, because that, Jesus, that's what Jesus would be all about. Let's just, let's just go bomb them all. Because according to Jesus... 
Before the cross, there was a whole mentality of us and them. It was a whole mentality of there were Jews and there were Gentiles. But what Jesus came to remove is remove all of the middle walls of partition. He came to remove the idea of those people and us and them. There's no more Jew nor Greek, male nor female, black nor white. He said, man, I'm here to deal with all of your issues of trying to exclude the people that you love because they're like you. See, whenever we have a mindset of those people, we take on the mentality of a goat. And a goat mentality, I mean, it started with Adam, that woman you gave me. Scapegoating started right in the garden. Rather than take responsibility, it was her fault. It wasn't my fault. Even though God never told her not to eat of the tree, he told Adam. Adam obviously never shared that with her. Hmm? And so the, the, these mentalities that begin to take place with the us and the them, because not only did Paul say that Jesus came to remove the middle walls of partition and he came to remove all these ideas, but according to Paul on Mars Hill, we are all now God's offspring. John 1 says we've been given the power to become the children of God, but at the cro- that was pre-cross. After the cross, God looks at humanity and all he sees is his children because we're all his genos, all his offspring, which is his family, his kind, and his children. It's just some have heard it, believed it, and received it, and some are still acting like orphans, and they don't enjoy the blessings of it because they've not heard the good news yet that you're no longer bound. You were reconciled 2,000 years ago. That's the good news of the gospel is everybody 2,000 years ago was reconciled, but not everybody's saved. That's why it's our job to preach the good news of the gospel. The good news says you've been reconciled, which means brought back into favor. You know what the cross did? It brought you into favor. God's not mad at you. Guess what? He's not holding your sin against you. That's like really good news. Especially since the word sin is also translated trespasses. It's also translated lapses. He's not even holding your lapses against you. He's not holding your falling away against you. And he's not holding your missteps. Anybody have any missteps this week? Guess what? He's not holding none of that against you. But for some reason, a lot of... New Testament, Old Covenant prophets love to say it because that's what Hurricane Harvey just did to all those sinners in in Houston. Well, it's like, wait a minute, how is God judging people for their sin when he's not holding sin? Anyway, it's not that confusing to me. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just pretty simple with me. He's not holding your sin against you. People do, but he doesn't. That's why it's called good news. That's like really good news. Most of my life growing up in church, it wasn't good news. Most of the time, it was pretty bad news. <laughs> I was horrified most of the time, lived in fear. I told people for years, I was raised under terrorist preachers. Hallelujah. <laughs> Terrorize you, man. I was in fear most of my life growing up. And then I realized one day that perfect love removes all fear. But see, if love removes fear, then fear removes love. And when you're raised in the gospel of fear, you don't know how to receive love and give love. Because all you know is fear. Fear and love have been at war for 2,000 years. And it's still going on in a lot of the church. And love is the one that wins out. Now watch this. And i gotta, I got to wind this down. Jesus starts talking about these sheeps and these goats. Matter of fact, even according to Ephesians 3, it says, To the God and Father of every family named in heaven and named in earth. He's the father of everybody. Whether they recognize it or not, the cross shifted everything. 
So see, if I don't view my fellow human, you know, I, I preach a whole series of messages and uh, it's out of Hebrews. And Hebrews says this, Jesus came to bring many sons to glory. Notice it doesn't say he came to bring sons to heaven. He came to bring sons to glory. That The Greek word doxa in the Greek is actually translated. He came to bring many sons to honor, to value, to worth, and to approval. Jesus came to bring sons who didn't know they were sons because they'd been acting like orphans for for almost 5,000 years. He came to bring them to a place. That's why Jesus would show up, and rather than focus on people's sin, he would start talking to the son in them. Behold, Nathaniel, a man in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel just told people he wasn't the Christ, and he was false underneath the tree. Jesus doesn't focus on his issues. He focuses on the son. He calls the son out of him rather than the sin. Most of my life, we dealt with the sin in people, and they didn't even know they were a son. The good news of the gospel is to proclaim you're better than you think you are. You're better than you're acting. And I'm going to keep telling you who you are in Christ until you start acting like it. That's why it's called the ministry of affirmation in 2 Corinthians 3. The ministry of the law was a ministry of death and condemnation, but the ministry of the spirit is a ministry of affirmation. It's not beating people up. It's actually bringing good news to them and beginning to speak to the son that they didn't even know they were. Affirmation works much better than condemnation. Every time. But now watch this. Once you realize that most of the stories and parables that Jesus gave were about dealing with the Jews about their us and them issues. Jesus was trying to show the Jews the people that you kicked to the curb and called dogs and threw away. Because to a Jew, loving your neighbors, you love yourself meant loving other Jews. It didn't mean loving all of humanity. If your neighbor was a Samaritan, you didn't have to love him, according to a mindset of a Jew. Loving your neighbor is love yourself, which you'd love other Jews. They're your actual neighbor. Everyone else are just dogs. And so Jesus shows up, and he would, his parables, he'd say stuff like this. The kingdom of God is like a man who threw a great party, and he bid everyone that was invited to come. That was the Jews. They were the first ones invited. And, and all of a sudden, they start giving excuse. And then it says he gets irritated that they didn't come to the party. And so he sends out his servant, a picture of the Holy Spirit, of the highways and byways. And he compels everybody that wasn't invited, that wasn't included, they're now welcome to the party. That's actually what the cross was all about. I'm about to include everybody that you excluded, the people you didn't feel were worthy enough. That's why he went into the temple and cleansed the temple. Why? Because he quotes a passage in Isaiah. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and you've turned into a den of robbers and thieves because they were trying to keep all nations out. His anger was was all about their exclusion. But yet we still do it a lot. We, We still say there's those people and there's, uh, listen, the, the, the story of Lazarus and the rich man is, is, is not a story about hell. Matter of fact, you know that after he tells that story, they tried to stone him and kill him. Now, now why would the Jews try to stone Jesus for talking about the afterlife? Both Pharisees and Sadducees already had different views of the afterlife. Matter of fact, the afterlife wasn't even a focus of any of their teaching and understanding. It didn't have any. Matter of fact, you can't build doctrine on a parable. People have built whole doctrines about compartments in hell out of a parable. A parable is a story explaining a truth. It's not literal. That's a good place for an Amen. Not only that, but you realize that when Jesus tells this story, he tells a Greek fable that was also an Egyptian story. It was a story everybody knew, 
And actually, it was about it, when it was normally quoted, it just said a rich man and a poor man. And if it named a name, it was normally the name of the rich man. The poor man was never named. And so Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees, and he said, let me tell you a story. Now, the moment he starts saying, there was a rich man, and there was a poor man, and the poor man laid by, laid by the road, and the rich man walked by and paid no attention. They're like, oh, yeah, this, this is this story. We know this story. The problem is Jesus tweaks it because he gives the poor man a name. He gives him the name Lazarus. But you got to understand something. They didn't hear Lazarus. Lazarus is the English of a Greek word. Jesus didn't speak in Greek. He spoke in Aramaic. And so when you take the word Lazarus and translate it back to the Aramaic, it's actually translated Eleazar. Now, the reason that is so important is because all of the Pharisees and Jews standing there, the moment Jesus said, there was a rich man, they're like, that's us. He was dressed in purple. That's us. We're, we're God's chosen people. But they both die, and they both are carried into Hades, into the grave. That's what the word is actually translated. They're carried into the grave, and the rich man wasn't in Abraham's bosom. The Jew wasn't in Abraham. They're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Instead, Eleazar was in Abraham. They started to get irritated right there because every Pharisee knew the story of Father Abraham. Father Abraham one day cries out to God and he says, I have no heir, I have no son. I have no one to give my inheritance to. All I have is this servant who's not a part of the covenant. All I have is my servant Eleazar to give the covenant to. God, I have no covenant seed, so I'm going to have to give everything you gave me to this Gentile. God gives him his promise. He gives him Isaac. And so when Jesus uses the word Eleazar, and he said, Eleazar is an Abraham. In other words, I'm about to show you that what the new covenant is about to do is you people that pointed out you people are now about to be those people, and the people you thought were those people are about to be my people. You and I are Eleazar. And watch this. The other thing about it is he starts talking about stuff going on in there, and this is what we focused on. And, and it says that the rich man says, says to Abraham, could you just send Eleazar back to tell my brothers about this place? And he says, they've got the law and the prophets. <laughs> they, in other words, the preaching of hell don't work. He's like, would you come tell them about this place? No, it ain't going to do no good. Why? Because it's the goodness of God that transforms your life. Not that preaching. Help me, Father. Matter of fact, it goes on to say that then they tried to stone him. They tried to kill him, not because of an afterlife message, but because he was saying the people that you kicked to the curb are the people that are now in the covenant. And the people that you believe are in are actually now the ones that might be left out. But then Jesus goes on to say this, and five minutes I'll be done, all right. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, talks about sheep and goats, and then he, he says, for I was hungry. You didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was in prison you didn't visit me I was a stranger and you didn't let me in and the disciples are like what when did this happen he said if you've done it to the least of these then you've done it to me in other words how I judge your righteousness 
is not just how you love me, because how you love me is how you take care of those people. He said, if you really want to know how this breaks down, it is in your loving of humanity. That's why Jesus rises from the dead. Peter denies him three times. I think that's so interesting because Jesus before the cross says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. But isn't it interesting that after the cross, Jesus comes back, and the first thing he says, go tell the disciples in Peter. So he didn't say, go tell the disciples in Simon. He didn't remind him of who he was before he met Jesus. So Jesus obviously didn't deny him. And he had just been to the Father. Boy, that's good news right there. That's why Peter hears his name and he takes off running. He still loves me. He's letting him know you're still a chip off the old block. You're still a, a stone in the rock, Peter. You're, who I called you is how I'll always see you. I don't change my mind about you, even though you change your mind about me. If you're in the pig pen, you're still my son. You're just acting like an orphan. When I watch this, because I, I think this is so interesting, he, he walks through a door and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So Jesus says, how you show your love for me is then how you love humans. Isn't it interesting that Saul on the Damascus road gets knocked to the ground and he sees a light and it's Jesus and Jesus speaks to him. And you know what Jesus says? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? In other words, how you treat them, Saul, is how you treat me. See, I'm, I'm convinced that the season we're living in that is that we're stepping into in the body of Christ a radical love revolution. I'm convinced. I have no problem telling people that if I'm ever going to be in error, it's always going to be on the side of love. Every single time. If I will err, it will be on the side of love. You cannot reach who you're against. We can't run around wagging our finger, calling people those people, and then say, oh, by the way, Jesus loves you. It doesn't work. No matter what they're doing, no matter what they're involved in, our job is to just radically love Humans. Now, that doesn't mean there's not order. It doesn't mean we don't also, in the midst of that, have boundaries. There's people that have hurt you, and if they've hurt you, your job is to love them regardless, but it doesn't mean you trust them. It doesn't mean you just let them right back in your life either. I mean, I'm not saying just, hey, just love, love, love. Just let everybody do whatever they want to. Of course not. Obviously, there's, there's wisdom in this, but we, we in the church are called to is to radically love humans. Now, I'm going to stop with this story. When we first started the church in Saginaw, we were meeting in a basement hall, orange shag carpet, mirrors all around a bar in the corner. It's totally unreligious. But it was cheap. I could, it's 400 a month. I said, if nobody comes, I can pay for that myself. So, <laughs> And I'll be all right. But there was a man, he was riding his bike past and he heard music coming out. And so he went around and put a lock on his bike and he walked down the long stairs and he came into our service. His name's Jeff. And we found out later, Jeff, is, it was pretty well known in Saginaw. And he's moved away now, but 
he needed to get to warmer weather. But uh, Jeff was known as one of the town drunks in Saginaw. Jeff rode his bike everywhere, and he would always have elbow pads and knee pads on because he was always falling off his bike. And he come in the service, and afterwards he come up, and he wanted, I happened to be home that Sunday, and he wanted to talk to me, and, you know, we just embraced him and gave him a hug, and he's got a backpack, and there's three or four fifths bouncing around in the back. You know, you smell everything on him. We just loved him, and Jeff, Jeff kind of became like our norm from Cheers. You know, Jeff would walk in the building, we'd be like, Jeff! I've said for years that the church should be more like Cheers. It should be a place where you've got the norms and the cliffies of this world. Norm, he's overweight, he's not happy with himself, he don't like his job, his marriage is falling apart, but he can go somewhere where everybody knows his name. And he walks in and everybody loves him just for who he is and don't try to change him. They give him a little something to eat and a little something to drink and they encourage him on his journey. Jeff would come in and everybody just love on Jeff. And he'd always want to see me walk in. It's Bishop here, it's Bishop here. About three or four months later, we were getting ready to move into the building we're now meeting in. It's kind of kitty corner from the mall. And it's kind of a storefront-like area. And so I got up and I said, now listen, for the next two weeks, I'm going to be at the, I'm going to be over there every day from 10 in the morning until 10, 11 at night. We've got platforms to build. We need to build a sound booth. We've got drywalling, paint, a bunch of stuff to get done. And Jeff comes up to me and said, I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to be there every day. I was like, okay, well, praise the Lord. Didn't really expect him to show up. Sure enough, I pull in at 10 a.m. He's locking his bike up. Come to find out he's amazing. I mean, he's drywalling machine. He's building platforms. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. He shows up the next day. We work all day. And the next day, it was just Jeff and I in there. And so I said, hey, Jeff, let's go get some lunch. And we went over and sat down at Burger King. I'm sitting across the table, and I said to him, I said, Jeff, what's your story? You know, I've never asked you what your story is. Where do you come from? What's... He said, well, in my 20s, he said, I had a contracting business. I said, okay, well, that, that just made a lot of sense. He said, I was married and had a, a child. And he said, I, I fell off a ladder and broke my back. And he said, they gave me Oxycontin and Vicodin for the pain. And he said, I've got a lot of addiction in my family. And that started me down a road. He said, then it led to, it led to heroin and cocaine and then a lot of alcohol. And he said, now almost... 40 years later, here I am. He said, I've tried to dry out a couple times. And to be honest, he said, I've just kind of lost hope. This is just my life. And he said, can I share something with you? See, when I first started the church, one of the things I prayed, I said, God, the reason we meet on Sunday nights rather than Sunday morning is because I didn't want to, I preached at a bunch of churches in the area. I didn't want to empty out any churches. Uh, Still never put our name on anything. After all this time, just because I really didn't want people to know starting a church. We wanted the people that no one else wanted. We said, we're starting on Sunday night because most folks that we want didn't get home till 5 a.m. And they're not going to show up at 10 or 11 on Sunday morning unless their niece is singing. And let's be honest, they're just not. And I said, God, I want us to be a house that a prostitute on the east side wakes up on a Sunday afternoon and she said, I just need to go somewhere today. I won't be judged, I'll be accepted, and I'll be loved unconditionally. And her first thought was to come visit us. When a stripper from the Deja Vu a few miles down the road has had a really rough week, and she had some crazy person follow her home and stalk her, and she's full of fear, and she wakes up, and she said, I just need to go somewhere today. I'll be loved unconditionally. Or or a man living in the township in a million-dollar house, and this 
happened to us who had a business and he he got hurt and got addicted to prescription drugs and ended up losing his business and his family and going to jail because he kept going next door to his neighbor's house who's a doctor and writing himself prescriptions. Whether they're down or out or they're up and out, they have a place to come where they'll be loved. And Jeff said, can I share something with you? I said, sure. He said, what you don't know, he said, one of the reasons I wear the elbow pads and knee pads is not just because I fall over on my bike, but on the weekends, he said, a lot of a lot of kids like to hide behind buildings and run out when I'm riding by and knock me off my bike. He said, I have a lot of people open the doors when I'm riding near the road and knock me off my bike and spit on me. He said, I have some really rough weeks. And he said, but he said, but I want you to know something. He said, there's so many Sundays I wake up and I just say, I just need to go somewhere today where I'll be unconditionally loved and I'll be accepted. And he said, my first thought is to come see y'all. And I sat there and began to just sob at the table. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, it's all good, Jeff. I said, that was my prayer when we started this. We have one thing to do. What would happen if the whole body of Christ just got the one thing down? Seems like we focused on so much other stuff. If we could just get that one thing into our into our DNA that we just made up our mind that we're going to love radically. And we're going to love those people, whoever, whoever they are. I'm, I'm convinced that we're heading there. I'm convinced convinced and I'm grateful that I could teach this here because I believe it's the heart of the leadership here also is to just radically love people bow your heads would you Father I thank you today for your amazing love thank you for your heart force I thank you Lord for the, the foundations of this house I thank you for grace and faith and your love that has been taught here but Lord I ask that love exponentially would begin to increase. And Father, we be known above everything else for loving as you love. That we make up our mind that it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit and the sheriffs of righteousness to this world, but it is our job to be like Jesus and see Zacchaeus and not yell at him a filthy, rotten, stinking little heathen going to hell in a handbasket. But our response is, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. I want to just spend time with you because I'm a friend of sinners. I choose to love you and I choose to see the sun in you rather than the sin in you. Help us to see the way you see. Give us rose-colored glasses that we literally can see through the blood the way that you do. And we'll thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you stand on your feet for just a moment? I I pray y'all heard my heart today. But I I want you to pray something with me if you would. I believe it's so important. The scripture says, I believe, therefore I speak. Uh, When something has been planted in our hearts that we open our mouth and we say something about it and that we make it a belief system. So would you just put your hand on your heart? Would you do that, please? I'm going to ask everybody to pray this with me out loud. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for loving me. That your love is unconditional. Now teach me how to love the way that you love. 
I want to be known as a radical lover of Jesus by being a lover of people. Help me by the Holy Spirit to be that in this world. To love my enemies. To love my family. To love my friends. To love every human. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just lift your hand just for a moment, would you? Holy Spirit, I I ask that you just seal that in our hearts and minds. Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you for the heart that's already in this house. And I, I ask that you just, you fill it, Father, with, with people hungry to be loved. Thank you that so many that are already here, they're here because they already sensed that and felt that. They felt judgment in other places. They felt loved here. And I thank you for that love that's already permeating this house. And I thank you that it is going to increase sevenfold. Use us to love humans and love you by doing that. Well, thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.